Praise the Lord. I'm happy to be with you all today. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to just really thank the leadership of your church, Pastor Brian. Um, Rachel's a really great friend of mine. I grew up with her. We battled in Sunday school together with memory verse competitions. She'd memorized like 100 verses, and here I am still using my notes, but not much has changed. I'm happy to be here sharing from the word from all of you guys. Um, The word that I have today, I think now after hearing all that's happening and what you've been sending out, whom you've been sending out, and the impact that you've been having for the next generation, I think that the word that I have today is extremely relevant. So I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to dive into Hebrews chapter 11, tap into Hebrews chapter 12 a little bit. But again, thank you so much for allowing me to be with you guys and and trusting me to be able to share the word. But I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32. And we're going to read through Hebrews 12, verses 2. And we're going to touch on the book of Judges just a little bit. But let's start with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32. And I'll begin reading. What more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, through which faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weaknesses, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned, and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. And they went about in their skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended, were through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something far better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore... Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Judges chapter 2, verse 10, really quickly I want to read this. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor the works that he had done for Israel. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for this time that you've given us, just to be in your word. God, I thank you for every heart that's seated here, God. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that the word of the Lord permeate each and every one of our hearts, that it not be my words, Lord, but it be your truth that speaks to us, Lord God, and reminds us to be people that remain faithful, that remain faithful no matter how difficult times come, Lord God. And we thank you so much for who you are and your work on the cross and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I love this book. I think there's an answer for everything here. And the craziest thing about this book, it's the most widely circulated book, the most widely published book in the entire world. It's in every single hotel room drawer, but it's also the least understood. 
And the beautiful thing about this is that there is a solution to every single problem that the world is facing today if we turn to this. And I'm grateful when I see young people and people that are really, really marked to make an impact on this generation using this word because they know and they've seen that it has the ability to transform and change lives. And there's a warning that I want to give that kind of just gives an emphasis as to the importance of what InterVarsity is doing, what Chi Alpha is doing, but also what all of us that are not part of those organizations have a responsibility to do. My first job out of college was with an accounting firm in Philadelphia, downtown. And essentially, the way that I describe it is our responsibility was to legally help really wealthy people evade their taxes. It was fun. Am I proud of it? No, but you learn a lot. And there was one particular client, the first client that I was ever put on. I'll say that his name is Jim. Jim amassed a net worth of $200 million before the age of 30. He was young, ambitious. His parents migrated to the United States, gave him an opportunity to build a telecommunications company, which he later sold before he was even married. And he developed and built this arsenal of cash with this business that he had built. And then he retired. Maybe 29 years old, he retired. In his 30s, he got married. He had children. But when he got children, the first thing that he did was he bought a very modest home. And his children did not know the wealth that his father or their father possessed. And so they bought this modest home, and he would be a stay-at-home dad, and his wife that he got married to had a nine-to-five job as an assistant for a CEO of a company, and he would take his kids to softball practice and baseball practices and tennis practices, you name it. And then one day, by the time I was put on this client, the lawyers had communicated that Jim was dying from a rare form of cancer. And the lawyers were trying to decide how to develop or how to split the wealth of their father, of the father. And the children were inside the room that they did not realize upon the death of the father that at this point the kids were 30s, in their mid-30s, and they had not realized the wealth that Jim had amassed. And I asked essentially our manager at that time, why didn't Jim communicate to his children the wealth that they were about to experience. And the reason being was that Jim had said that there was this old adage that he had heard, this old adage, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. He basically said that there's this whole concept that generations are basically going, for, and every single culture has their own way of doing it. In the Indian culture, it's paddy fields to paddy fields in three generations. Essentially what it means is that there is a generation that emerges that's working hard, and they're working in shirt sleeves, and they're trying to build a lifestyle, they're trying to build something for the next generation, and finally they amass enough wealth where when the second generation comes, they trade in those shirt sleeves, and now they're wearing really good clothing, great clothing, fancy clothing, and things that basically took them out of shirt sleeves in a position where they stewarded the wealth that the first generation had created, and they've grown it in such a way where now they're living in a lavish lifestyle. But then it goes into third generation, where the third generation is in, unable or does not have the ability to steward what the first generation has done. 
And it ends up being that they squander the wealth, and it goes from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Jim didn't want that for his children. And so he hid this wealth for them while teaching them the principles of managing the wealth so that when it went down to them, it will go on to the fourth generation. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And the same exact principle applies to the spiritual realm. And that's why what we just read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor the works that he had done for Israel. You see, what this portion of Scripture is describing is that there was this group of Israelites that had been in the promised land that actually did not know the word of the Lord, did not know what the previous generations had gone through, what God had done for those generations, and they come into a situation of blessing and prosperity to the point where they squandered it and they begin to lose everything because they did not know what God had done for previous generations. There was a faithfulness that was there in previous generations which was not communicated to the next generation. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations in the spiritual sense. This generation did not know. They saw the, ru the ruins from the, from the walls of Jericho that had fell. They saw the ruins of the different things in the nations that were destroyed. But they did not have any need or dependency on God. They didn't know why the walls of Jericho had fallen. They didn't know the stories of how the sun stayed up in the sky. They didn't know how, who, how Moses got the law. They didn't know anything that was done that led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the land that they were in. They were not communicated who God is and what God did for the previous generations. And then it goes on and it says that a generation arose that knew not the Lord nor the works that he had done for Israel. And what the reason why I mentioned that, there's a slide that I want to show you that really broke my heart. And it basically speaks on the current state of our world today. And it basically said that Generation Z, Generation Z is the first post-Christian generation in American history. It's never happened before. There's never been a generation that has been overwhelmingly non-Christian. It's the largest generation, the largest consumer group in the entire world, and they are the first generation that is overwhelmingly saying that there are many different ways to salvation. There are many different ways to a happy eternity, but Jesus is not the only way, nor is he the way. What does that mean for us? It means that there is so much work for the body of Christ to remain faithful, to stay steadfast, and to be able to communicate to the next generation that there is a God that exists that has been faithful in my life. This is what he's done to get me out of what I've gone through, and this is what he can do for you. The message of the gospel now is so important to communicate in the broadest and greatest and grandest sense of the ways possible than ever before because it's shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Now you're basically seeing a generation that's apostate. It's apostate means basically you are abandoning the religious belief that you have. And we're seeing that now in 2022. 
And the reason for that is because we are a generation that isn't doing the very best that we can to communicate the faithfulness of God, nor are we being faithful ourselves. And God is warning us of this, that there's a responsibility for us. And in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, let us lay aside every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before for us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's so important because the message that I have for you today is simply to remain faithful, to not give up as hard as it is, as challenging as it might be. The word of the Lord is to not give up, to remain faithful, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how far you feel as though that you've drifted, no matter how type of mistake that you made that you think that you can't recover from, remain faithful, be in the will of God, come back to him, and begin to communicate to others the faithfulness that God has in your life. And I love this portion of Scripture in Hebrews because the reason why we're seeing a, 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 a concept of this race that's happening, and I love how the author is using this general idea of an athletic competition. He's describing this, this, this amphitheater, this Greek amphitheater, and he's saying that we are they're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's specifically using this Greek amphitheater structure to describe and show that there are rows and rows and rows of people, that there's a cloud of witnesses, which is the people that we read in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and even before that, there's so many people that were flawed individuals. They were flawed people, but the thing about them, even in the midst of their flaws, they were faithful people. They had a faith and belief in God, which was supernatural. And because of that, they're looking at us. They're looking and seated in rows almost, and they're spectating in such a way where they're basically saying, you know what? Look at us. We didn't even have Jesus. We didn't even have what you have, but look at us and the faith that we had, and through every trial that you go, through every situation that you're in, be faithful just as we were. My message is just to be faithful. Be faithful because the consequence of our faithlessness is a generation that gets lost. It's a generation that gets lost when we fail to be faithful, when we fail to communicate the faithfulness of God in our lives, when we fail to be that model and be that example, we become a generation that becomes apostate. And that's one of the saddest things that we can say. But the beautiful thing, the hope that we have is this is the largest generation, right? This is the largest generation that is turned away from God, but it's the greatest chance of revival. It's the greatest and most beautiful opportunity to send out people and to plant churches and to send people to college campuses and wherever it might be and communicate the gospel. And it's the greatest opportunity that's so ripe for harvest and so ripe for revival. But again... When we look down and break down, what does it mean? How do we endure? How do we become faithful? What do we do to make sure that we are, we are consistently remaining faithful? The thing that we started off with is we're, so, we're surrounded by so great a, great a cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. The, the cloud of witnesses, as we described, that is described all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, they were murderers. 
They were prostitutes. They were drunkards. They were people that were messed up. They were people that did not know what it meant to be holy until they encountered God. Until they were basically able to say, you know what, I've done things my way. I've done it all wrong. I'm a flawed person. And they turned to Jesus. And then these are the people that have dedicated their lives to, 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 to say, you know what, we're going to trust in God. And we're going to see God. These are the rows and rows of witnesses from the past that look on us. And those are the people that we look at as faithfulness, as an example. It's so important that when we're looking at that first verse, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's so important to realize that we're not struggling in this life alone. I think so many of us have this idea or this concept that no one understands what we're going through, that there's nothing that, there's no one that can relate to us. And oftentimes when you're dealing with sin, when you're dealing with struggle, when you're dealing with something that is so internalized, you feel as though that no one can be there for you. And what the enemy likes to do is isolate us to the point where, you know what, you're by yourself, there's no one that can help you, there's no one that can get you out of this situation. And isolation leads us to a point where we begin to separate ourselves more and more and more from God. When I'm communicating to youth, when I'm communicating on college campuses, the one thing that I've noticed that people need a reminder of, even when I'm speaking to older people, the thing that they need to be reminded of is that they are not people that God is accusing, that they are forgiven people. The simple word of communicating that you are forgiven, forget about it, you're forgiven, is the one thing that people need to hear now more than ever, because now there is this great attack against the body of Christ of accusations, where things that God had already forgiven and forgotten continuously come up in our minds and make us feel as though that we cannot be used. We cannot be someone that's faithfully able to be used. And we're not the first people in the world to have dealt with failure and problems and discouragement or sins. Other people have gone through so many worse situations than us, but we have the endurance to continue forward because we have Jesus. The first point that I want to make of four points is that our faith is strengthened when we remember those who have gone before us. Remember the faithfulness that is communicated of the people of God in Hebrews chapter 11, but also look at the faithfulness of God in people in your life. Look at the faithfulness that God has shown in your, in your, in your parents or in your children or in your loved ones or people that brought you to Christ. It's so important to remind yourself, what has God done in your life in the past? What has God done in the people in your life? How has he been faithful? And when you remind yourself of how God has been faithful, testimonies, uh, the, the word testimony in the, in, the, in, the original, in the original Greek literally means God do it again. And so when we hear a testimony of someone, of God's faithfulness, we're basically saying, God, do this again in my life. That's why it's so important. Our faith is strengthened when we remember the faithfulness of God in other people's lives and our lives. And it goes on to say, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He's basically saying that there's baggage that's slowing you down, that we want you to be faithful. You want to be a faithful person, but there's baggage in your life that's actually holding you back. There's baggage and weight that you're carrying with you on this race that you need to let go of. You need to set aside because it's stopping you from having the full potential and it's limiting the promise. It's limiting the progress that God desires to have for you in relationship with him. And there's so many different ways that we 
allow weight in our lives. The most obvious way is people. You allow certain people in your life that can be a weight. They might not be people that are equally yoked with you. They might be relationships. They might be friendships. They might be people that have different ideologies that you should not be associated with. But people can be one of the most obvious weights that we keep in our life that stop us from being people of faith. It stops us from being people that can actually understand and see the faithfulness of God and stops us from enduring in this Christian life. So be able to be people that have discernment to say, who's in your life that you know is not treating you well? Who is in your life that's not loving you the way that Jesus would love you? Who's in your life that's showing you a distorted type of love that's actually toxic and hurting you, and it's contrary to the way that Jesus desires for you to be loved? The wrong friends and the wrong values in people can deter you from the course that God has for you. And so it's so important that much of your weight, it can be weighed down if you are not surrounded by the right people. The second thing is our past, the things that we can't let go of. These are weights that can affect us. If you are not able to let go of the things that you know that God has forgiven you of, it's so important to do that, to be able to say, you know what, this is in the past. It doesn't define me. It doesn't affect me anymore. I'm forgiven. I am redeemed. I'm moving on. And that can be hurt. And there's so many different resources that are available in the church today that allow us to deal with the past. But it's important to remember that the things in the past are not things that God looks at today. He's looking at the heart that you have now. And so sometimes the weights that we have can be the past that we carry with us and the baggage that we allow us to kind of identify who we are today and how Christ sees us. But weights can be the past as well. And another obvious way is specific secret sins. Sins that we don't think anyone else knows about us. Things that we're dealing with in secret that we know God wants. We want God to deliver us from, but we're not taking the steps to do that. It could be certain addictions. It could be things that no one else in the world knows about. It could be things that people do know about, but we're not doing anything about. But sin that is repetitive, that's in our lives, that we're not repentive of, or a weight that we cannot allow to continue if we want to be people that endure. But then he goes on to say, lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. But the specific sin that he's talking about from Hebrews chapter 1 to Hebrews chapter 12 is this sin that he keeps speaking of, which is unbelief. He's speaking of unbelief. The sin of unbelief is the root of all different sins. When you think about the lack of belief, when you, make it, when, when you don't believe in God, when you have a lack of belief in who God is, you decide to kind of create in yourself this own type of God, that you are a type of God. And you begin to kind of get yourself involved in things that are just contrary to a belief structure in God. When you think of greed, when you think of pride, when you think of arrogance, when you think of lust, when you think of dishonesty or gossip or slander, whatever it is, all of those are rooted in a disbelief in God. The specific sin that the writer is speaking of here when he's saying to lay aside every weight and every sin, he's specifically speaking, lay aside the sin of unbelief. Because unbelief takes us down this rabbit hole where we begin to say, you know what? We are like God. We are like a God. We are a God. And we begin to make decisions that are contrary to full submission and obedience to Christ. 
The lack of unbelief can hinder the walk that we have with God. And we have a responsibility to get rid of anything that holds us back and keeps us by walking by faith. Point two was the faith that we have is protected when we lay aside what holds us down. When you look at verse two, it goes on to say, let's lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Remember that this is not a race that is your own, that Jesus had actually marked it before us, and our responsibility is to fix our eyes on Jesus. You're not living this faith life alone. You're not actually following someone that has not experienced the hurt that you've experienced. You're not following someone that's, that's, that hasn't experienced the pain that you've experienced. The whole thing is we are following someone that every emotion you can imagine, any experience or betrayal that you can imagine that you've experienced, Jesus has experienced it. He's experienced it, and he's basically saying that I have completed and I have run this race successfully. I am the prize that you look forward to. Fix your eyes on me. And the problem that I'm seeing in so many generations, in different varying generations, in the cross-generational issue that I'm seeing is that people are fixing their eyes on their situation. They're fixing their eyes on their problem. They're fixing their eyes on what they're going through at any specific moment, and they're basically saying, Jesus, I need you to intervene in this because this is a mess. When in the, me- in the meantime, Jesus is basically saying, stop getting distracted and keep running. Keep enduring. Don't worry about the situation that you're going through. Fix your eyes on me. That's just something that will happen, and you'll go through that, but I'm with you, and I am at the other side. And I think that we get so distracted when we begin to think and fix our eyes on the problems that we're going through that we're failing to realize that there's already a prize at the end that has brought success. And I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where it basically, or 4, verse 7, where it says that cast your anxieties on the Lord and he will give you a peace that passeth all understanding. And that peace that he gives you is not basically saying that he's going to remove situations from your life. He's going to say that even even in the midst of those situations and what you're going through, there's going to be this undeniable peace that he is in control. And in the midst of all that problem, in the midst of all that trial, in the midst of all that tribulation and whatever you're going through, as bad as it is, you can still have a confidence to know that Jesus is in control and he sees the situation. Your fixation is not ever to be on your struggles. It's to be on Jesus. This race is not our own. Jesus marked it before us. And it goes on throughout this entire book, and it begins to explain the ways that we fix our eyes in Jesus. We fix our eyes in Jesus through the different themes that are mentioned, having faith. It goes on to talk about visiting prisoners, entertaining strangers, believing God, trusting God. God, worshiping God, knowing Christ, having courage, praying, encouraging others, confessing sin. The main summary of all of this is loving God and loving others. We fix our eyes on Jesus when we love God and when we love others. Because when we truly, truly love God, the extension is that other people, we want them to experience the same love that God has for us. And we want them to experience it, so we shower it on them. We fix our eyes on Jesus by loving God and loving others. 
The final point that I want to mention is that Jesus is the supreme model of our persevering faith. He is the supreme model of our persevering faith. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. It's one of the most remarkable verses I've ever read. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Basically, what the author is writing is that they're talking of Jesus literally on the cross. He is about to die. He's about to be crucified. And from this position, the thing that Jesus is thinking of, he's thinking of the joy that is set before him. In other words, he's thinking about what's going to happen in three days. His resurrection that happens on Sunday. He's basically saying for the joy that is set before him, that I am in the lowest period of my life right now. I am separated from the Father. That the weight of the sin of the entire world is on my shoulders. But the thing that I'm focused on is what's going to happen in three days. The joy that is set before me is not the fact that I'm on the cross right now. It's not the fact that I'm about to ascend into the depths of Hades. It's not that I'm about to do anything else. It's not the wounds that I have. It's not the weight of the sin of the shoulder. It's not my separation from God. The joy that is set before me is the fact that I will be resurrected and I will ascend into heaven and I will be with the Father and I will be reunited with my people. He says that the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the model. He is the standard. There's no emotion. There's no betrayal. There's nothing that we've experienced that Jesus has not. Yet we see that through all of this, Jesus remained faithful. And I think that it's important to understand just the type of man that Jesus was when he was on this earth. Sometimes when we fail to recognize his humanity, we feel as though that we can't actually associate ourselves with him. He was fully man. He was fully God, which means that he understands the pain and the struggles that we go through. He understands the mistakes that we make. He understands the pain that we feel when others betray us or hurt us. He understands all of that, but he's basically saying, in the midst of all of that, you need persevering faith because I understand it, I see it, and I'm at the other end. I'm at the other side. Look to me. Fixate on me. Jesus gives us the strength to endure hardship in the midst of this prospect of heavenly joy. And it's so amazing to understand that because we're this people, we're this group of people that don't have the understanding all the time of just the gift that we have, the access to, that we have to Jesus, the reality that here we are able to experience Jesus. We're able to experience direct access to him. And so much of the world is struggling and waiting and wondering how do they find this point of salvation? How do they find eternity? How do they get to a point that we're in? How do they find the peace that we have? And we have access to it through Jesus. I love sharing this story, but around four years ago, I started this business, and it required me to do the deliveries myself. And one day, I took a, a boatload of product to this and, and put in a truck, and I took it over to a client that I had in Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, and this specific street was a highly, highly Muslim population. Every single store was some type of Middle Eastern store. 
And I remember dropping this truck off on the side of the road, and I'm waiting for the owner of the store to come in so that he can pay me and collect the goods. But he wasn't there, and he was coming a whole lot later. But then I started noticing that in this specific store, what ended up happening was this siren blows off in this street. It's literally right next to the Barclays Stadium. And the siren blows off and it begins to play the specific song or the specific prayer that's reminding everyone it's time to look towards Mecca and pray. And all of these different people from the community and other Muslims began to run into whatever, run into whatever store that they could find so they can make the daily prayer time. And I thought that I was in a different world. I literally thought that I was in Saudi Arabia for a second. I was like, am I in Brooklyn right now? And I'm looking, and then I end up seeing the most remarkable thing happen. The first thing that I see is this young woman walk into this Muslim store that's right in front of me. And she goes up to the clerk that's there, and she says, I need you to help me find God. And the clerk that's at the store looks at her and says, okay, follow me. And he begins to take her over to this book stand and takes this instruction manual and goes through each page. And then he begins to walk her around to different sections of the store and says, okay, you're going to need this mat. You're going to need this specific outfit. You're going to need to cover your head like this. And I'm watching all this. And this young woman is watching all of this. And she's basically taking notes as he's understanding. And she's getting her pocketbook ready. And she's looking at everything that she needs to do so that she can find this form of self that she thinks is authentic and real because she's desperate. And at the same time, I'm looking out on the side of the street, and there's three people that are wearing traditional Middle Eastern outfit. I kid you not that they were barefoot, and they were running down the sidewalk trying to get into the same exact store just so that they can make the prayer time before the sirens or the alarms went off. And they ended up running into the back of the store and they said, can we pray somewhere over here? We don't have anywhere else to go. And they basically said, yes, go to the back. You can go in the back and you can pray. And then the one guy in, that three, in, the, in the group of three that was there, I know this is confusing, but I was just as confused. But one guy takes out his phone and he opens up his compass app on his phone and he's trying to find which way is east because they had, it to, they had to pray towards Mecca. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking at this woman in the front of the store that's making sure she gets all the different things that she needs to purchase so that she can find God. And I'm looking at the back of the store and these people are trying to say, that's not East, that's not East. So they can lay down and pray to God that they serve. And I'm confused because I'm looking at all of this and I'm saying, I have immediate access to Jesus just by calling out his name. That I have immediate salvation just by calling out on the name of Jesus. But the world is so distorted and so confused and believing so many different things when we have the truth in our hands right here. The source of joy, the source of strength, the source of peace, everything is right here. And what I want to do is communicate the very thing that God desires for you is just relationship with him. And there's no complicated way of doing it. You don't need a mat. You don't need a compass. You don't need anything. You just need to confess that Jesus is Lord and say that he has been raised from the dead and believe that he's the son of God. And Romans chapter, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. There's nothing that God requires from you. There's nothing that God requires from you other than your faith in him. There's no tools that you need. It's a beautiful thing, and it's so hard to believe. 
Recently, I was speaking to someone who was just so confused. She didn't come from a Christian background, but she was so confused and she found it difficult to believe that a God can be someone that is just so accepting, that can just welcome you without requiring anything from us. And I said, I know, it's crazy to me too. Doesn't make sense to me. But we have a responsibility on this side of eternity to communicate that message to communicate that message to as many people as possible. And I want to remind all of you that you have access to that as well. So with every head bowed, with every eyes closed, I want to communicate that if you desire this relationship with Jesus, and it's not something that you've had before, if you have not accepted Jesus into your heart, if you not, have not communicated, Jesus, I want a relationship with you, we want to give you that opportunity even now. And I want you to slip your hands up so that we can see you and we'll have a member of our team here that would pray with you and lead you into salvation. Father, I thank you so much for every single heart that's in this place, God. I thank you, Lord God, that you just desire faithfulness, God. That you have been the, 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 the supreme model of faithfulness for all of us to be able to look towards and look at and say, Jesus, you are the author, you are the perfecter of our faith, Father. I thank you that you are a God that, we're, that, that understands our struggle, that understands our pain, that understands what we go through, God, and that you don't you're not ignorant of the things that we go through. You're not ignorant of the pain that we feel. God, I pray in Jesus' name for myself and for everyone that's here that every single day, every single moment, God, we are striving to be people that are full of faith, that are consistently enduring, that we're remembering the cloud of witnesses that have gone through this life, oh God, that have been people of faith, and we have access to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and I pray that every moment of every day, Lord, we ever Evidently, and we clearly live a life that is faithful to you so that this world can be evangelized, so that this world can experience your gospel and the goodness of who you are. In Jesus' name.